Over the weekend, the ACT Party released its Three Waters policy in response to the government's own Three Waters reform package that could see waste, storm and freshwater assets transferred from our local councils to four water companies owned by councils who would then appoint an independent body who would then appoint 50% of the boards to manage each water company with the other 50% um, being appointed by local iwi. It's fair to say at the Taxpayers Union we're receiving more emails and correspondence about the three water issue uh, more than anything else except obviously for the current lockdowns and COVID. But I thought we'd use the opportunity this lockdown who um, who like me is, 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 is stuck in Auckland in our home offices and joined by X. Uh, Environment, Infrastructure and Local Government Spokesman, Simon Court. Simon, thanks for joining Taxpayer Talk. Good morning, Jordan, and thank you to uh, the Taxpayers Union for having me. We'll get, um, well, if we can start with perhaps running us through what exactly is the government proposing? Because we've all seen the, the cartoon ads saying that there's this utopia coming as a result of Three Waters that are very patronising but don't actually tell us what the Three Waters reform involves. So perhaps if you give us a little bit of a, um, a summary of what the government's proposing and then um, why act uh, in opposition to it. Well, the government's proposed two, three, two parts of water reform. The first part is a drinking water regulator and ACT supports setting up a drinking water regulator uh, to, to give some direction and set up an enforcement regime to address some of those problems that happened after the Havelock North water contamination uh, incident where a number of people lost their lives and a large number of people became very ill. Uh, councils definitely have an obligation to provide clean drinking water to the people on their networks, and that's why a regulator is necessary. Uh, the next part of the reform agenda, we have a major problem with, and that is amalgamating councils' current water assets, many of which are run very well and they're in good working order, although there are many that are, but amalgamating them into four essentially regional water corporates, taking those assets of local communities and not consulting with those communities and essentially um, giving over control to unelected bodies such as uh, iwi groups and government officials. So, I mean, let's come back, though. I mean, the Three Waters reform isn't just a Labour government uh, initiative. In fact, uh, Sir Bill English, when he was Minister of Finance, was very keen on, uh, firstly, it was, well, that government was very keen, firstly, on amalgamations. At the Taxpayers' Union, our view was always, it's not whether to amalgamate, it's what to amalgamate. And the, the first cab off the rank was the horizontal infrastructure, the three waters, uh, for example, where we had council after council. We've only been going, what, eight years, but time, um, every year a different council gets into trouble over generally a water asset, a big once-in-a-generation deci- uh, decision. Kaipra, obviously, is the, is the poster child, but even a council like Wanganui with its sewerage scheme, um, huge over budget, had to rebuild a, a particular part of it because it wasn't fit for purpose. I mean, surely you accept 
that uh, councils aren't doing a very good job at the moment. And so do you, do you at least accept that there's some rationale in terms of efficiency and cost to ratepayers of some economies of scale? There certainly are. Uh, taking individual councils' assets and handing them over to an unelected corporation is not the way to do it, though. Uh, we've consulted with councils on our proposal, which is to set up shared services agreements so that councils can take advantage of the knowledge, of the expertise of being involved in a larger delivery agency, but still retain control over their own assets. A shared services agreement worked well in Auckland for water care before amalgamation, uh, and it's actually working quite well in Wellington for Wellington Water, but the missing link is not so much amalgamation, whether that's necessary, it's the funding. Where does the money come from, and will any reform actually allow more infrastructure to be delivered faster in the priority where it's needed? So you mentioned Whanganui, Taipara, and other small towns. Well, we've also got large cities like Dunedin and Wellington, where their infrastructure is over 100 years old. It's failing at a rate of knots, and those councils don't have the budget or the expertise to prioritise and deliver replacing the infrastructure. But more importantly, if those cities are going to grow and if we're going to actually unlock land for affordable housing, then we need to bring in a lot more funding to actually deliver network upgrades and extend those networks. I'm a bit of contrarian on this. I agree with you with water care. We get a lot of pushback, or a lot of people don't like water care, but when you compare it on a cost per ratepayer basis, it's actually not too bad. And we had a previous guest of Taxpayer Talk was the former chief executive of water care. And what really impressed me was the degree to which they were very conscious of both underinvesting, but also the conscious of not gold plating. That when you have engineers running, and I appreciate you're an engineer and my background's law and we're trained to worry about risk and our incentives are to, to gold plate, but at least in water care's um, sense, they haven't generally done that. They've, the notwithstanding popular perception, the investment has pretty, pretty closely Follow Auckland's population growth, but you raised Wellington Water as as a model. That that's a um, a, a pretty minority view to suspect that Wellington has well running or well functioning water networks when literally um, there's poop on the street. So the issue is there that Wellington Water, as as a regional entity has amalgamated in a shared services agreement the way all of those councils' water assets are prioritised for investment. But the problem is the actual councils don't have the money to make the investments. So Wellington Water or Auckland Water Care or any other shared services entity can come up with a list of assets to fix. But unless there's a, a, a funding model that means that they can actually go out and, and design and then award contracts to repair existing infrastructure and to extend the networks to land for new housing. It doesn't matter what the entity is. Uh, we think that, that actually a shared services agreement uh, in parallel with long-term partnerships between central and regional government. Uh, in the past, uh, just like NZTA or Waka Kotahi, the voting agency does now, in the past, the government used to provide up to about 40% of local government's infrastructure funding needs. So when a small town or a town like Tauranga or Hamilton wanted to expand its infrastructure, a 
they came up with the plan, they identified where it was needed, where land for housing was needed, and then the government agreed to fund a portion of that. Now, it's been a very long time since local government has received that kind of recognition of their funding needs from central government. What we're saying is um, local government knows where the problem is, make sure that they are empowered to deliver the work under the umbrella of a shared services agreement. When it comes to the funding, we're going to have to look beyond the ratepayers and taxpayers. Act firmly believes that large network upgrades and wastewater upgrades, for example, can actually be delivered under private-public partnerships. So, but, but all you're doing there is spreading the cost over time in, 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 in reality. And going back to your example of because of Auckland versus Wellington, Wellington, we've certainly got the need for the infrastructure, but it's funded through the councils. Watercare, they set their own rate effectively. Um, you know, you get a separate water bill. Are you saying that one of the problems is, um, I mean, well, well, actually your proposed solution is a little bit more complex because what you're saying is bring in central government as well. Is that, um, that sounds to me more bureaucratic than a sort of pure independent water care type model. So if we're thinking about uh, councils retaining their assets and central government having a role to play, that would be in confirming the priority list that councils come up with and that the regions come up with. Regions like Auckland have identified land to for another half a million to a million people to come and live in Auckland. They know where the infrastructure needs to go. Central government's role would be using organisations like the Infrastructure Commission to run the ruler over that list of priorities and make sure that they can be delivered, that they are the right projects in the right order, and that there's a, a, a regular monitoring and measurement of success towards those priorities. One of the things we've seen with this government is uh, announcing a whole range of projects, uh, being the, uh, the project sponsor, uh, responsible for delivery and funding. And then when they can't get the project delivered, uh, who do they blame? Well, they certainly don't blame themselves. Uh, so you know, our perspective is government does have a role to play, but it's as the referee and it's in organising the funding because they are the ones who are taking taxes, recovering GST from building costs and others. They actually have the money. Local government only gets about 10% of the revenue in New Zealand that is spent on public services. So if we want more water infrastructure to be delivered faster to unlock land for housing in particular, then central government does need to play its part. But that's as a funder, a part funder, and as, as a referee essentially on the infrastructure playing field. Okay, so if I could, if, just to get the, when I get my head around X, Exposition. One of the key concerns, particularly here in Auckland, and from um, you know even a broken clock is um, is right twice a day. Phil Goff is rightly criticising the government that under this proposed Three Waters regime, where basically Watercare gets taken over by a new company that is co is co governed, but goes right up through Northland. And his concern is is that what we will see is Aucklanders paying for disproportionately expensive infrastructure in rural communities in Northland, and he asks about whether that's fair. Am I right to to think that Axe's position on that is that it's the government, it's central government's role 
to sort of run the error check over that is that a prudent spend and its government's role to sort of do that cross subsidization rather than within the entity grabbing from the big cities and pushing that money out to the rural communities. I think you've described that as a much fairer outcome, and that's what Act is seeking to Okay. We also need to think about the government's proposal for co-governance of these entities. Um, they have said, um, on the one hand, they want these entities to be run by professional boards of people who have experience in infrastructure and, and delivery. But on the other hand, those boards themselves would be controlled by non-elected uh, appointees. Build um, off to his credit, uh, runs a council that has come to an agreement with around 18 EWU that have interests in the Auckland region. But what that does mean is that every infrastructure project needs to be taken to those EWU groups and and uh, have their sign-off if they have an interest in it. He's pointed out that once you start to bring in Northland into the mix, you're probably talking about a 40 or 50 EWU in Kapu that you need to be consulted. And how on earth do those organisations select half a dozen representatives to be on a water board? Um, and what decision making will they have? Uh, Act has great concerns that decision making, if it includes stormwaters, actually will start at the top of the catchment where the rain falls. Yeah. And it will become a de facto body for allocating water and for exercising what uh, many EU Māori groups think are, are their rights over water. Yeah, I had only just recently learned that I had assumed incorrectly that the boundaries of the water companies follow the catchments in the same way as regional councils do, but it's not. It's based on iwi boundaries. So you'd have a water a water body would end up with the same situation like the Waikato River, where it flows from one region into another, and then you have the you'd have will it be worse than intercouncil warfare it would it would be into tribal disagreements in relation to um allocation of water or um water quality matters it i like obviously i'm declaring i think it's nuts but um okay so just coming back to i i picked up in your release that sort of act opposed the shifting from one government agency to another basically creating these sort of mega mega water companies but what you're describing is really the same thing, isn't it? How is your model more accountable to ratepayers and taxpayers than what you know? Other than other than co-governance, um, how do you think that your model will be more accountable? Because that's certainly something something that you sell as a virtue of your policy. Yeah, well, that's the benefit of our thirty-year regional partnerships between central and local government. But once the regions have identified the projects that they want to deliver and central government agrees, then the accountability uh, is to central government. If these regions and these towns and cities want funding, they're going to have to meet the quality uh, and, and performance expectations that they signed up to. And we believe it's a much stronger accountability mechanism and it's also the right role for government. It's to facilitate the funding and be the referee not try to have a hand in infrastructure delivery, choosing projects, uh, picking uh, politically suitable um, or political winner projects as they have with things like the Auckland Cycle Bridge and and other projects which, uh, as we've seen, are so difficult to deliver because it turns out they're just not the right project. And... um... I guess the uh, we've got two more questions that I, I, I really want to cover. The first is, 
what you're proposing seems to be if you hold up Wellington Water as the example or pre-super city uh, water care, why isn't this happening anyway then? Because councils have been, have had, what, 15 years of, of central government saying you need to fix water or you should centralise and pull resources together or we're going to we're going to do it for you, which obviously is now happening, well, proposed to happen. Why do you think councils have been so reluctant and how would you put the incentives in place or would you force them to? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It's the incentives. Uh, other councils, Waikato uh, District Council, for example, have signed up to use water care as their professional services and, and delivery agency because they just don't have the size and scale and, and mm-hmm. number of staff that they need to, to, uh, to, to get the projects up. But other councils have failed to come to agreements, although they have discussed it and, and they've been given mandates by elected members to go and form issue services agreements. It's because, in the end, they can't agree on the priority of projects and they actually don't have the money to deliver them. That's where we believe ACT's policy, the 30-year partnerships between regional and central government, set it. Once the projects are identified and agreed, then the funding comes and those councils can have the benefit of a shared services agreement to get the engineering, the design, the procurement uh, and, and, and the support in terms of uh, long-term maintenance and operation, making sure their assets are actually maintained at a level that they need to be, that they aren't just built, tick a box and move on to the next project, which has been so often the case for, for uh, infrastructure projects. My last question uh, is to do with an inquiry we we get uh, quite commonly, and that is we're we're often approached by representatives or members of uh, from very small communities that have their own private reticulation schemes, meaning a you know it might sometimes it might be a block of batches, for example, that have half a dozen have chipped in to a you know a, a pipe going up to the creek on the on the on the back property or something like that. One of the complaints seems to be a, a one size fits all approach, and I'm conscious too of what I've had on the other side, which is. Um, uh, was Water New Zealand, the, the peak body of engineers that have been expressing concern for a decade now that it's only a matter of time before a busload of Japanese tourists or whatever get, and not, not that that's going to happen at the moment, but they're going to get Giardia or some sort of poisoning. It was actually pre-Havelock, but they were warning of it because there are, particularly in rural New Zealand, a whole lot of very small and largely unregulated uh, uh, water um, infrastructure sort of um, schemes, albeit often quite informal, uh, that that have no quality controls. Where does ACT sort of draw the line there between that sort of risk versus at what point do you introduce the regulation? Well, the regulation is, is currently before the House. That's the Water Services Bill that sets up Tamata. Otherwise, is the Water Regulator for Drinking Water, and ACT supports that. The problem is what happens when you get down to the very small schemes or schemes that serve uh, essentially uh, rural irrigation, but that also supply raw drinking water to a number of homes uh, or, or buildings along the way? And, and that's where ACT is asking for an exemption for small schemes that supply, say, up to 30 end users from the most severe aspects of the regulation. Now, there's a risk that a regulation that imposes jail sentences 
and fines of, of hundreds of thousands of dollars will simply uh, mean that some users are just disconnected because uh, a group that supplies water for irrigation will not want to have that risk of having to supply yeah. clean drinking water to end users. Those end users already have options. They can buy a filter system. Uh, they can install UV filtration. Uh, and they already have to comply with uh, the Health Act in terms of supplying safe drinking water if it's a workplace um, or to others. So what are the regulations require? Is it something like daily testing for lead or stuff like that, is it? Or what's the, um, like, what it what... What are they scared of? So currently, um, the regulations will require chlorination or other form of water treatment so that there is a residual level of chemical treatment at the point the water is consumed. But if you've got a spring on a property and that property is connected to half a dozen others downstream, mm-hmm. as long as that bore is uh, maintained in the right way and meets the drinking water standards, Currently, then ACT believes that actually you should be allowed to continue uh, supplying those um, those downstream users, uh, but you should still have to meet your obligations under the Health Act. And uh, what we're concerned about is that those small water suppliers will simply disconnect. Mm. Um, then the people who need water will have no choice but to essentially ring up the council and say, we've got no water, could you please supply us? Um, and that is an obligation on local government. So we see this not just as a risk to the small water users, but also to local government, who will be the last man standing and who may find themselves with seven or 8,000 new uh, communities or or, or, or small groups of homes to supply that they didn't even know about. And then we'll see new targeted rates applying to tiny communities and get into the very problem of that we were trying to solve, which is the Kuipers and the, I'm thinking the the sewerage schemes around some of the Rotorua lakes that are just totally disproportionate in costs to the benefit they provide. Yeah, that's right. And Jordan, there are already acceptable solutions out there, uh, but the the, uh, Department of Internal Affairs and this new regulator which is about to be set up haven't been clear about what those acceptable solutions might be. So what ACT is asking for is either create an exemption for, for small groups of users uh, or otherwise uh, be very clear about what those exceptions and acceptable solutions are so that people can have confidence. And are you confident that the, but how, is the government receptive on that? Do they understand this or is it is it controlled by officials that are so reg, uh, risk averse? They hate the idea of um, a person having their own or supplying their neighbour with, with, with tap water despite being in absolute rural middle of nowhere. They are clearly very, very risk averse. Uh, the issue of Havelock North, which was a private supply that was uh, supplying customers um, who, who suffered, you know, injury. There was, th- was three deaths. It was it was terrible. Yeah. That wasn't a private. That was Hastings District Council, wasn't it? Yeah, but the bore itself was on private property. So I, oh, guess I see. They, okay. I guess they've taken a, a highly risk adverse approach, but without recognising actually that that um, council already had an obligation to monitor and check on the safety of that bore. Uh, that's what the inquiry found, that uh, there, there were um, obligations that were fulfilled. So but there's already technology available, whether it's UV filters, whether it's uh, one micron filters for Jardia and crypto. These things have been um, fitted onto rural supplies, uh, onto single drilling units for years and years, going back decades. 
uh, there are acceptable solutions out there and what ACT is asking for is some flexibility about how those are applied. Very good. Uh, live from Simon Court's uh, home office, thanks for joining Taxpayer Talk, Simon. Thank you very much. Cheers.